0: Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the What If Project podcast. My name is Glenn, and this is episode number 76, and it's the second episode of 2020. Welcome to the new year. Hope your new year has gotten kicked off to a uh, good start. Ours, oh man, it's Sunday morning right now, and uh, we have this issue going on with our water heater, hot water heater, and it's like leaking out of the bottom. So last night, Uh, I was trying to sort that out. We have towels wrapped around it now. Hopefully we can get a plumber over here today. I have this sinking feeling in the pit of my stomach that it's going to have to be replaced. Hopefully not. Uh, We shall see. Uh, We just keep the faith and keep on pressing on. Uh, But I looked this morning and no water on the ground, so that's good. I was going to drain the hot water heater last night, but the uh, little spigot on the end is like corroded and the uh, the hose wouldn't connect to it properly. So I don't know. I don't know what to do. I don't know what's going to happen. Uh, but we we shall see. Uh, the Holy Spirit kept the water in there last night, I guess. I, I don't know. Maybe it's holy water. Maybe it's not. I don't know. Uh, anyway, but I do know that this is episode number 76. And uh, today we are sitting down with the one and the only... Uh, the naked pastor, David Hayward, and I'm excited to introduce you to him. Uh, if you haven't checked him out, uh, do a Google search. He says, do not Google naked pastor, but uh, naked pastor one word. So if you do naked space pastor, you know you're on your own. God only knows what's gonna happen when you when you hit search. But uh, if you hit naked pastor one word and then add David Hayward to it. Uh, You will definitely find him. Uh, He's the guy who draws those cartoons. You've probably seen them pop up here and there around the internet. Uh, But he draws these uh, cartoons of Jesus and sheep and the church and all various things. Uh, He will talk a little bit about that in the episode. And uh, I think that you're going to really enjoy this. Uh, He's somebody who has uh, definitely made an impact on my own faith and my, my deconstruction. And uh, my reconstruction and all of those different kinds of things. So he's been a, a very helpful voice for me. So I was excited to talk to him. I'm excited to share him with you. Uh, I'm not going to talk about all the things today. Patreon.com slash What If Project is a place where you can go to support the show. Uh, the What If Project community is a closed Facebook group uh, where you can go and find people who are wandering the wilderness of their faith, maybe like yourself and find some good conversation there. So all the links to that and those things will be in the show notes. All the links to David Hayward and his books, his website, all those things will be in the show notes. Uh, But all that to say, this is episode number 76, my conversation with David Hayward. Enjoy. Hey everybody, welcome back to the What If Project podcast. Uh, It is great to have you here and uh, I am excited that you chose to hit play on this episode because today uh, I am sitting down with the one and the only, the naked pastor, uh, David Hayward. Welcome to the podcast. It's great to have you along.
1: Thank you. And I'm sure there's a lot of people are saying, thank God there's only one and only naked pastor. For sure. But yeah, that's me. So I'm, I'm glad to be here with you, Glenn.
0: Uh, Thank you. So, David, I first learned about you from one of your cartoons that somebody shared. I think it was on Facebook. And I actually remember it was the cartoon of Jesus sitting at a bar or something like that with a black sheep. And I immediately thought to myself, no idea who the naked pastor is. I have no (laughs) idea where this cartoon came from. But whoever this guy is, he certainly gets me. And so uh, I really love your work. Um, As I said before, we hit uh, record. It's had a tremendous impact on my life. So, I think on behalf of a lot of people, uh, thank you for, for what you do.
1: Thank you. Yeah, it's good to hear. I kind of, you know, I'm, um, I'm off by myself, you know, and uh, I work from home. So mm. uh, I pretty much live the life of a hermit like many artists do. And uh, <clears throat> it's always good to hear back from people that your work is having a positive effect in people's lives. So I really appreciate the feedback.
0: Oh, well, it certainly is. And to kick off our chat today, I was wondering if you could maybe just... Tell us your story, people are wondering maybe they haven 't heard of you. What the heck is naked pastor what is that? What does that mean? And uh, oh. I know that you used to pastor at church. Um, I know you yep. I believe you went to seminary, uh, yep. now you draw these cartoons, some people yep. like them, some people hate them. You have this online community of sorts, so tell us all the yeah. things that we 've got to know about David. yeah
1: okay well um, i I grew up in the church. I was very, very, very passionately devoted, loyal, you know um, I was full you know, 100% in. Mm. And, um, and so, and I grew up mostly Baptist and then Pentecostal and, and, mm-hmm. um, and so I, you know, I've been around and I decided after high school that I would, I would go to Bible college mm. and, uh, I went, not, I grew up in Canada. So I went from Toronto area down to Springfield, Missouri, and went to a Bible college there. And, um, you know, Pentecostal Bible college at that. And, uh, that's where I met my wife. Uh, went from there to seminary, Gordon Commonwealth Theological Seminary in Boston area. And then, um, from there I, I, um, I went into the Presbyterian church. Uh, I was going to go for my PhD in new Testament studies, but I got derailed due to pregnancy and money issues and all this kind of thing. Mm. And I ended up going into ministry and I got ordained in the Presbyterian church in Canada. I served, I served there for many years. And then from there uh, I just got tired of, I don't know, Lisa and I, my wife and I both had sort of Pentecostal roots and everything. And we kind of missed the, the, the passion of worship and things like that, Mm. that the Presbyterian church wasn't offering. Although I appreciated the depth and the teaching and everything. Uh we, we eventually ended up in what's called the vineyard movement hmm. and I ended up pastoring a church there. And, um and so, you know, I've I've been around. I've you know, um, you know, gone to seminary, I went and got my diploma in ministry at McGill University, you know, I've got another diploma in adult education and for university, I've taught English as a second language, you know, I've been hmm. around. But in finally in two thousand ten I just felt it was time for me to leave. The ministry uh, as a uh, of a local church um, and 2010 spring of 2010 I left the ministry and sh- long story short from there I basically went into um, doing what I do full-time uh, now it, and that's naked pastor I I draw cartoons I do writing about mostly issues around um, people changing their beliefs changing their faith, losing their faith, leaving the church, what we call deconstruction. Mm. And then um, I also facilitate an online community called The Lasting Supper for people who are deconstructing and want community to do it in. Mm. And, uh, yeah, so I've been doing that now since uh, the spring of 2010. It's hard to believe. It's been nine years. but Yeah, um, time flies. <laughs> yeah, time flies. I'm having fun. I enjoy what I do. And, uh, I, I really appreciate knowing that it's having a positive effect on some people because I know, I know, um, there's more and more people leaving the church and feeling, you know, pretty isolated. Mm. So anything I can do to help them feel validated in their journey and search and feel connected somehow to a larger movement that's going on and help them make sense of, of their journey, then I'm, you know, I feel I'm doing my part.
2: Mm.
1: Yeah.
0: So what triggered, when you said that you left ministry, like you were involved in the mm-hmm. church for such a long period of time, and right. you, know, you went to Bible college, you were a pastor, and then you say that you felt that it was time to leave the church. So was there something right. that triggered that? And I ask that because I think of my own life, and I used to pastor a church as well. Uh-huh. I remember for me, when I, I was talking to my wife, and I was like, I just don't feel like this is what I'm wired to do. Like I feel like I need to almost present myself in one way, And on the inside of what I'm wrestling with and things like that, I have to keep all of that to myself because I'm not allowed to vocalize that or I'll get thrown out anyway, you know? So that was what it was for me. Is there something specific that happened for you?
1: Well, um, I, I always struggled with my calling as an ordained minister in the, Mm. within the institutional church. It was always a struggle for me. I never felt, uh, like I exactly fit. Mm. However, I always found myself gravitating towards churches that I felt provided me the freedom I needed to grow as far as I could. Mm. And then the, the finally the last church I was in, which was a Vineyard Church, uh, a great church, wonderful community. I had a great leadership team. The, the community was just amazing. The quality of community was com- amazing. And it was just really great until I really started to go way deeper than um, some in the congregation were uh, comfortable with, mm. and and when I say some, I mean influential some. Yep. And and uh, they were just starting to ask questions and starting to because I you know I've been running the Naked Pastor blog now since two thousand five, mm. and and uh, this was happening in two thousand
0: and ten. Oh, so you were already doing what you're doing? I was already doing way. what I was doing. Oh, okay.
1: Yeah. Mm. But most of my congregation didn't bother you know, reading my blog, they're like, you know, we got to listen to you every week. Why would we also <laughs> right. read your you blog? need more kind of you. <laughs> of <it>? That's <laughs> yeah. right. And, but they were starting to hear from other people and uh. other churches who were reading my blog. And, you know, even um, the higher ups uh, were starting to contact me expressing concern mm. and uh, maybe, you know, and starting to suggest that maybe I needed to get my posts approved, pre-approved mm. by the, you know, so I knew my time was up. That, yeah. was, that was starting to happen in 2009. And, uh, you know, so that by 2010, it, you know, after a couple of meetings with some influential people in the church, I knew uh, that we just weren't going to be able to travel together anymore. I, mm. I, I needed to keep growing and they were holding me back and mm. they, they wanted their pastor to be a certain way. And I just couldn't meet that. Mm -hmm. So we came to an amicable divorce and, um, you know, uh, we went our separate ways and, Mm uh, you know, looking, you know, back then it was extremely traumatic. It was a crisis for me Mm -hmm. because I've been in the church and in the ministry my whole life, you know, basically. Yeah. And, um, and then, you know, I was sort of, I thrust myself out there and, uh, it, it took a long time for me to find my balance again,
2: hmm. but
1: you know, um, I'm, I'm doing what I, I know I'm, I'm meant to do. And uh, that's help other people go through that transition that I went through.
2: Hmm.
0: Yeah. I think it's helpful when someone like yourself is able to almost pave the way, you know, you, you, your cartoons and the things that you talk about, like they're very simple drawings, which I, I love. It's not like it's a, it's not like it's a very complicated, like comic strip and, You have these very simple ideas and it brings out, it really magnifies the different issues. And I think that your cartoons help people put words (laughs) on the things that they're feeling that they don't know how to put words on.
1: Yeah, I think you're right. Um, You know, I, I see that almost every day, if not every day, Mm. where somebody says, you know, something like, wow, like in one image, this is exactly what I've been trying to say or trying to articulate, you know, and that's I love the challenge of trying to draw something in just one frame it doesn't Hmm. require a whole page of comic strip or anything but just in one frame to try to articulate something that's going on in the lives of so many people
0: yeah for our listeners who maybe aren't too familiar with your artwork maybe just give them a you know, if you had to give us like a two minute crash course and what your, your drawings are about, what, what kind of issues are you tackling in those drawings?
1: Okay. The, the, the quickest way to, is to, you know, baptize them by full immersion and that's just go to nakedpastor.com, and, <laughs> you know, fill your boots, but dive in, <laughs> dive in, go in the deep end. But, uh, what I, what I do, um, is I critique, uh, what I feel Um, the church is doing to harm or hold back or oppress or coerce or manipulate or abuse people. Mm. Um, And so that's sort of the negative, um, what some people would call the prophetic side of what I do. Mm. Uh, Old Testament prophetic, I mean, yeah. and where I kind of call out what I feel the church is uh, doing wrong. Yeah. To be blunt. Church. And then, um the other side though is I encourage people in their own in their own journeys what i call I encourage what I call spiritual independence and that mm. what I mean by that is autonomy. we have the right to be spiritual in the way we that you know works for us, mm. and um that we have the right to choose how to how to be spiritual or how to be Christian or how mm. to be agnostic or whatever you want to call it. So, um, so it's, I have a, you know, I have a, I have a negative side and a, you know, a positive side to my work and, uh, people are happy with both and some people are upset with both because a lot of people don't like the church to be criticized. Um, and, um, and a lot of people don't like people to be validated if, uh, if their journeys don't exactly match mm. what the general church feels it should look like, you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. Yeah.
0: So on that note of uh, critiquing, I read a, I read your book um, called questions are the answer and I'm going to oh, put yeah. that link in the, the show notes for people so they can go buy it too. But I came across this quote and I wanted to read it um, for you, okay. for our listeners. And then maybe you can respond to it a little bit, but you okay. said the presumption for anyone with a dualistic mind, is that if you criticize something, you don't love it. Uh, wise people like prophets would say the opposite, though. The Hebrew prophets were free to love their tradition and to criticize it at the same time, which is a very rare art form. And that really hit home with me because, uh, again, a small, small piece of my story, I, I critique the church a little bit on this podcast and the oh. uh, evangelical church in particular, along yeah. with a lot of the theology and especially the tendencies that come along with how it treats people who are deemed to be like the outsiders. Right. And one of the accusations that always comes my way is that because I critique it, that must mean that I hate it. Right. I I feel like that's so far from the truth because I grew up in the evangelical church, you know, I was trained in the evangelical church. And although I don't align so much with the theology anymore, there's aspects of it that I love that have helped me become who I am today. My love for community, my love for the Bible, my love for Christ. And so I critique it. Not because I hate it, but because I really do love it, and I want to see it be all that it can possibly be. And so, I'm wondering: a, obviously, you get that a lot, but um, do people often mistake in your critique for hatred? And maybe can you talk to us like a little bit more about that role of a prophet who loves his or her tradition, but is also free to call out the things that are maybe damaging
1: people? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Yeah, I get it every day. like literally. Uh, if <laughs> and I, I see it on today.
0: Facebook. <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah. So and I'm on all social platforms. So mm. uh, Instagram, um, you know, Twitter, you name it. It's, uh, I get a lot of, you know, hate back mm. at me. Um, and this is a, you know, I, I hate one of the things that raises my eyebrows instantly is when I see somebody on Facebook or something, they call themselves prophet Don Smith, you know, mm. it's like, no you should not call yourself (laughs) a prophet you know and uh so i i don't want to i'm not saying i'm a prophet and i'm not comparing myself to the prophet i'm just uh, let's just talk about the prophets so in the old testament and the and even in the new with john the baptist etc they were always marginalized people because they could not they 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 weren't welcomed Mm. and in the into the mainstream. They weren't welcomed into the institution. They, because they were like a, they were like a virus, like a computer Mm. virus. If you allowed it in, it was going to kill everything. It was going to upset everything. So they necessarily had to live out in the desert and, you know, live off locusts and wild honey. You know, it was, Mm. it was uh, the only way that they could survive. And yet, because they were deeply connected and passionate about um, truth and, uh, you know, um, fealty and, Mm -hmm. and, um, and passion about God and, and all these things, they, they continue to speak out against these, these things. It's, it's, it was the ones who kept, it's like in Jeremiah, you know, when the King calls the prophets in and they all, you know, give him positive reports and he's no, and he knows you can, you can edit this out if you need to, but he knows it's all bullshit mm. because he's paying them to tell them what he wants to hear. Yeah. And so he says, somebody, okay, somebody, finally, he says, go get me Jeremiah. Cause I know he's going to tell me the truth. Mm. And you know, sure enough, Jeremiah tells him the truth and he ends up, you know, that's the last we hear of him literally, mm. you know, he ends up banished somewhere and, and that's the last we hear of him. Mm. And, and so that that's just the nature of of um, people who are passionate about something so much that they care to critique it so that it can correct itself. Mm. And uh, John the Baptist was the same. Jesus was the same. Stephen was the same, you know, in the New Testament. John, um, you know, the Beloved was the same, also exiled to the island of Patmos. So it it's just, that's just a tradition of people who love something so much that they want it to be true to itself. Mm. And um, one, of the, one of my top 10 books in all, of all time, it's on my top 10 of my favorite books, is by William Stringfellow, who's an American lay theologian. And it's, uh, it's called An Ethic for Christians and Other Aliens Living in a Strange Land.
2: Mm. And what
1: he talks about in that, and I was introduced to him through Sojourners magazine years and years and years ago. He's since passed away. But that whole book is about um, the principalities and powers. Mm -hmm. And how the church or, you know, the people of God or whatever, too often um, the the institution becomes so identified with itself that it it becomes a principality and a power. Mm -hmm. And we have to remember and and we always have to be reminded that the church is a creation. It's a creature that needs to be challenged Mm -hmm. and needs to hear the truth. And needs to constantly be called out to, to be true to itself and true to its true nature. Mm. And uh, I think that's the role of the prophets mm. in the Old and New Testament. And that's also what I, I try to do. I, too, love the church. The church has done great things for me. It continues to. There's a few churches that I, I'm comfortable visiting. There are some great pastors out there. There are great churches trying to build really good, healthy you know, functional community and, mm. um, you know, uh, doing good work and, and, uh, uh, you know, that should be encouraged. And, and, uh, I, th- I know from my own experience that it's possible, it's absolutely possible for a church to, uh, voluntarily gather people and not be abusive or coercive or manipulative mm. and to help people grow at their own pace, at their own rate, in their own way. Mm. And, um, you know, for them to do good work in the community and so on, it's entirely possible. I've seen it over and over again. Mm. And, and so that's what I'm calling. That's why I keep calling out things like abuse and coercion and silliness and stupidity and, you know, uh, all these kinds of things because that's the church not being true to itself. It's, it's, it's become full of itself and tries to fulfill this image it has of itself. That's totally, um, you know, bought into power and money and other things that aren't, aren't, you know, essential to its true, its nature.
0: Mm. Yeah. When you, as you're talking, I'm thinking too, of even like, I mean, this is the work of Christ. I mean, this is what Jesus did when he, you know, walked the earth. I read the Mm. the gospels and, you know, he flipped over the tables in the temple. He had Mm. that interaction with the poor widow who put her last, you know, coins into the, into the collection. He went toe to toe with, the Pharisees, the the church leaders, so to speak, of the of the day, and you know he he called out the different inconsistencies, and he called out the things that were damaging people, not because he hated the church, but because he loved it, and he hmm. saw that it could be better. And I think that when I read your work, uh, that's what I see, and that's what I'm trying to do here, you know, in this podcast as well. So, well,
1: it's yeah. like it's like when Jesus called out them for for saying, you know, you guys measure your cumin and time and everything down to the milligrams. Mm. Um, and that's okay. As long as you do what's just, right. You know, he he didn't say stop all that. Right. He just said, it's okay to do that as long as you're, you know, practice justice. Uh, Mm. you know, so I I think, um, the, in the gospels the stories of Jesus portray that same kind of passion and concern Mm. was, uh, is trying not trying to demolish religion i'm i'm totally not for demolishing religion mm. or outlawing religion or banning religion or spirituality absolutely not we i i think if you can be religious or be <laughs> spiritual and at the same time be generous and just and truthful and loving then by all means you know go for it
0: uh, i'm wondering can you speak maybe to the person who um, is in this season of deconstruction, that all the stuff that you're talking about, it's gelling with them. Mm-hmm. And they're hearing about that importance of deconstructing in the context of a community. Because I, I hear that a lot. Um, mm-hmm. It's also come up in your in your writing, um, in your book. Mm-hmm. I, I read a little bit about that. But maybe they're super hesitant uh, about community because they've been burned by church community in the past. And a couple of stories that come to mind. I, I read the story the other day about a, a woman who was literally told that uh, she wasn't welcome back in her Bible study because she had too many questions and the rest of the group was feeling uncomfortable. And so they literally left her like in a Starbucks uh, crying because uh, they told her she needed to get help and they couldn't be the ones that could help her. Uh, there's another guy who I, I am uh, who I'm friends with and uh, he was 16 years old and the, he went to his pastor and said, pastor, I think that I'm, I think that I'm gay. And they had a conversation about it. And a week later, the pastor told the congregation in church about the conversation that he had with him. And the guy, he, he was 16. He turned bright red. I mean, he got up and he left and he never went back to the church again. So these are obviously extreme examples, but what advice would you have for the person who maybe they've been burned big time like that? Maybe they've been wounded in a smaller way, but they're still feeling really hesitant about community yet. They, really want to continue pursuing their faith and kind of taking these things apart and deconstructing, reconstructing,
1: man, those are horrible stories. Yeah. You know, I, I hear these same stories every day Mm. and, um, you know, it, 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 it happens right down to, um, you know, friendship or family level too, and Mm. all the way up to church, you know, and even nations, uh, and, uh, where we, we, all of us come to a point in our lives when we have to make a choice, either I'm going to keep growing mm. at and, and which means leaving people behind, or I'm going to compromise in order to belong. Mm. And, and those are, that's always the choice. Um, you know, I've often, I've often when I, you know, I do some coaching with people too. And I'm like, listen, if you had everybody around you right now, your husband, your kids, your, your mom and dad, your sisters, you know, everybody around you going, and your church are going, you go, Mary, you go, you be, you, we're behind you 100%. No matter what happens, we trust you with your own journey. You're the captain of your own ship. You know, you're, you're the master of your destiny and we're behind you 100%. No matter what happens, we're going to be here for you. We've got your back. Mm. I think more people would feel free to change. Yeah. Instead, people get the message, listen, uh, you know, you're allowed to tweak here and there, but you're not allowed major transformation. You're not allowed to, you know, go in a direction we're uncomfortable with because that means we'll have to reject you. Mm. And, and, and so that's always the, the choice we have. we, we continue to grow with great loss and even rejection, or Mm. we compromise in order to belong. Mm. And, and, you know, the 16 year old, you know, that's so young for somebody to have to make that kind of a choice. Mm. And, uh, that woman left in the Starbucks. I mean, those, those are blatant examples of people who are, are giving, who are given that choice, uh, in such a cruel way like Mm. they're it's like their heads on the guillotine it's like you got to choose now Mm. you either stop what you're doing and fall back in line or you know you're we're done with you Mm. and um so what what i'm seeing now is incredible uh um numbers of people finding the courage to to uh choose to walk away from belonging and from community because they're starting to realize that their own personal health and well-being and growth is has to be a priority mm. and you know they're the courage that it's taking a lot of these people um because a lot of them are experiencing the rejection that they feared mm. and you know from their you know from their spouses from their parents from their siblings from their churches from you know their villages from mm. you know you name it it's amazing the the risk that uh these people are taking in order to take care of themselves do you
0: think that is there a I'm trying to think of how to word my question but do you uh-huh. find that most people um maybe begin to deconstruct in a place of isolation before they move back into a place of Community and then a uh, part two to that would be like how how long is too long to be in isolation or or is it is there ever a time that 's too long and I guess that's that question's coming from my evangelical roots because right. we 're always told never do life alone, you know never right you know if you 're away from people for a certain long period of time, you know the devil's going to get like all these kind of things so i 'm wondering like what what are your thoughts about that like a yeah. do, do people begin deconstructing in isolation and then b how long is too long to be in isolation if it's too long at all? This,
1: this is just such a, a huge, huge topic. Mm. Um, it's just, there's just so much to talk about. Uh, like, so I, I have an online community. It's called the lasting supper. People can join. There's a small monthly fee, mm. but, uh, you know, because a lot of people want a kind of, uh, non-critical support and that's what we provide. Yeah. Um, but, uh, and this is one of the things we talk a lot about is relationships because mm. when we're in the church, I, I grew up mostly evangelical as well. And it sort of becomes such a part of our DNA that we, we can't go life alone, that you cannot forsake the assembling of yourselves together. You always yeah. have to be in a group. You always have to be accountable. You have to be under somebody's umbrella shepherding uh, yeah somebody's authority a shepherd or Mm. you know all this kind of thing and you know i've started to question all that and Mm. and start to see the holes in those all those things because it's just another way to control people Mm. um i've and one of the things i do try to help people with is learning how to create new and new kinds of relationships outside of the church Mm. because. This is one thing the church provides. It's one of its greatest assets and that is instant community. As soon as you walk in the door, you're handed a platter of networks and Mm. activities and potential babysitters and car mechanics and (laughs) you know, you name it uh, potluck suppers and, and things to do during the week and activities of all kinds and picnics. Like everything is given to you on a, and and then when you leave uh oh, suddenly you're in no man's land, it's yeah. like whistling dark, mm-hmm. there's nothing. And you basically have to start from scratch, building relationships, making new friends, mm-hmm. you know, uh, finding, <laughs> finding a mechanic, you know, figuring out how you want to hang out with people and what kind of people you want to hang out with. It's just like, it, it's, it's devastating. And, um, traumatizing and Mm. overwhelming for many people who leave the church because they've walked away from community and friends and help and support and fellowship Mm. and, you know, all kinds of things. And, Mm. uh, you know, Lisa and I talk about this often, you know, it, it used to be when we, when we were in trouble, something was going on and maybe with our kids, there was a whole bunch of people who we could say, look, could you just pray for us or, you know, or, you know, just letting you know this is going on and just to know that there's a dozen people out there thinking of you right yeah. now and kind of holding you up in, in support and they've got you in their heart and you know, that that's incredibly encouraging. And all of a sudden when, when you leave the church, that's gone. Mm. And you, you kinda have to learn how to build and I'm gonna say a, a word right now, you guys, That might upset some people, but you gotta build normal relationships yeah, yeah normal friendships hmm. normal uh venues of support and and connection and hmm. and things like that yeah if you watch any of those um documentaries on cults to a t all the people who've left those cults earn tears even though they were literally Abused, like and raped, and all their money was taken, and they were duped, and they realized that they were totally taken for a ride. They're all in tears because they miss the intensity of the mm. community mm. and the intimacy that everybody shared, and the love and the support. and it's the same for people who leave the church. So
2: mm.
1: you know you have to ask the question, I think, why are those two experiences so similar? Is, Mm. is that normal? Is that even healthy? And those are things we need to ask. And, and so that's one of the things I help people with who are leaving the church and, you know, in the lasting supper and things like that. Mm. And, and I'm seeing it happen. And Like with Lisa and I, we're building new friendships. We have new kinds of ways of, uh, we've got new kinds of support, new kinds of fellowship and community, Mm. and it feels healthy. There's safe boundaries. Um, there's, you know, respect. Mm. There's no, coercion or manipulation or, you know, pressure and, uh, and other I'm seeing in other people's lives as well.
0: Hmm. That's the thought I never, I never really thought of that before, but I think you're thinking back over my own kind of history in the church. And I think, hmm. I don't think the church does or has done, at least in my experience, a very good job of teaching people how to have relationships or how to build relationships with people outside of their own little tribe or bubble. Cause I grew up in the church and I was part of uh, like one church for a very long period of time. And I remember even, right. even when I left that church, like not even so much in the deconstruction period yet, but leaving that church, leaving that church family, like you said, like I remember I left plumbers behind people who I knew who could come over and just look yeah. on my house. Right. The so mechanics. True. And then I remember just being <sighs> in this place. Like, I don't know. I don't really have any, I don't know who, I don't know who, you know, who else to, to talk who to go to. And especially yeah. like, then I went to work for Apple and I still work for Apple and oh, cool. I started to interact with people who are gay, uh, transgender, mm-hmm. uh, atheist, agnostic. Mm-hmm. And I had never interacted with any people like that before, again, because I was in that right. little bubble and I remember feeling very like, how do I build relationships with these people? Like, how do I yeah. connect with these people? And I remember feeling very. Like disillusion and very, I didn't know what to do. And I now that now that you said that again, that's something else that put words on something I've always felt is that I don't know if the church does a great job of helping people understand how to build relationships with people who might be different than them.
1: Yeah, it's uh, when you know our churches that we've been a part of. There's always been a great sense of community, but looking back now, I realized it was very uh, ghettoized. Like, yeah very we were all very much on the same page hmm. diversity wasn't really a thing we're very much the same we sort of have the same thoughts we were all pretty much straight and white yeah. and <laughs> cisgendered and you know uh, so and i'm speaking up northeastern canada where that is kind of normal the norm uh, yeah <laughs> yeah um there's not a, that's one of the things i don't like a whole lot about where I live is there's not a lot of color or diversity of Mm. cultures, but, um, so, but that's, that's just the way it is. And, and then when you're thrust out into the world and you do meet transgender people and gay people and atheists and so on, it's like, what are the rules of relationship with these people? Like, and then you realize, well, wait a minute, I get to decide, right? I get to decide what the rules are. Yeah. And, um, you know, there doesn't have to be any accountability. You don't have to report back to anybody and you don't have to try to convert them or yep. all this kind of thing. Right. So it's that's right. Yeah.
0: That's really good. So, uh, talk to me about a little bit about other religions. That's another question that I had for you. Um, uh-huh. I'm wondering how has your understanding of like other people's faiths, other religions maybe changed throughout the course, um, of your deconstruction. And, and I asked that because as you know, I mean, growing up in the kind of the evangelical world, Uh, It's we're right and they're wrong. And so I'm wondering, like, how is that? What does that evolution of change look like uh, for you? And how have you found God maybe outside of the church, outside of the Bible, outside of what most church people would consider, you know, okay?
1: Well, in fact, um, this whole question was really the um, thrust or the, the energy behind my whole deconstruction. And it began really early in my life where, um, I couldn't understand why my, uh, somebody I really loved who experienced a lot of abuse at home and hated her father, um, because of it and didn't believe in God because of it, um, who was still a very sweet person but who had all these sufferings in her life. I couldn't understand why she should go to hell mm. for this. Mm. Right. And, and then meeting, meeting people of different beliefs who were much nicer than <laughs> I was <laughs> and much more loving and compassionate and, and reaching out than I was. And then, and then, you know, atheists and then meeting gay people and transgender people and, And I I couldn't, and then, you know, also Buddhists and Jews and um, uh, Muslims and Hindus Mm. and, and so on and so forth, right? And I, and I, I, this was always a big problem for me. And I remember trying to, the Bible was very, very important to me, front and center. And I was trying to make sense of it from the Bible, and it just couldn't, I just, I just couldn't make sense of it. I was in complete theological angst for most of my Christian life Hmm. until the point in like 2009 when I was ready really to throw in the towel. I was like, "I, I can't make sense of this. I just can't make sense of this where Christianity seems to assert that it is the one and only way. And yet all these other ways or all these other ways of being, um, don't seem evil to me. I I can't see why God would accept just Bible believing Christians who, you know, say the sinner's prayer properly mm. um, are, are the only ones and, and all these other people. So anyway, long story short, I was ready to throw in the towel mm. and say, I just can't, I'm done. I can't figure this out and just sort of go on a theological vacation or something. I don't know. <laughs> right. And uh I, I silly thing is I had this dream where I saw waterfalls and I I don't want to get into the whole story. you, re, you can read it about it. I think, I think I have it in my book questions are the answers. Yep. And where I just realized that all these thoughts, we call them beliefs, uh, are just, that's what they are. They're just thoughts. People mm-hmm. have different thoughts about, and there's only one reality. I believe there's only one, reality with a capital R but we have all these different thoughts and beliefs about it um, from all around the world and every single individual has a different slant and a different perspective and we all sort of filter this reality through our own worldview and paradigms and and then we shape them into ideas and thoughts and, and we believe these thoughts and then we articulate these thoughts with our own languages, our own words, and but these the word is not the thing, the belief mm-hmm. is not the thing, and uh, it was an incredibly liberating moment for me. Like I literally woke up completely at peace, mm-hmm. and I you know I, I still am to this day theologically I'm just completely at peace. It just all fell into place. It was like the final puzzle piece of a jig, jigsaw puzzle was clicked into place. And I realized, you know, these are just thoughts that seem to separate us and make us different, but that's all they are is a thought Mm. and deep. We're deeply connected. We're deeply at a deep and fundamental essential level one. And, you know, and for those who, you know, want to believe the Bible, one of the most important verses that had a huge impact on my life throughout my life as a pastor was, um, that Christ is the all in all mm. and reconciling all things to himself through Christ and, and all these kinds of verses that talk about this reconciliation of all things or the union of all things or all things uh, are God breathed or, you know, all the, these kinds of verses had a huge impact on me mm. and, and this dream, this waterfall, this, you know, just sort of finally made sense of it for me. Mm. And so what's neat about that for me is that on the one hand, it acknowledges that we're all one there's unity, but it respects the diversity of our different uh, perspectives and our different mm. w- ways of thinking and and so on. So that's why I, I, I value my Muslim friends and their religion and my Buddhist friends and their religion and the, you know, philosophy and my hmm. hindu friends and their religion and whatever and and atheists and their standpoint and you know and so on and so forth it's hmm. like okay you know that that's the where they're, they're thinking about reality hmm. now i know you know there's probably some people out there that are like oh it's a heresy <laughs> um you know and but to me it 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 it's uh it just makes sense
0: i think too I, i've been really thinking about Lately, those words of Jesus—that you know, no one, no one comes to the Father but through me—and how growing up, I was always taught that that was such an exclusionary verse. You know, that there's so many different pathways, but you know, I'm the only pathway that you can, you know, possibly find and or the right one. And I've been thinking about that verse lately, especially in relation to the things you're talking about and that dream about the waterfall. Because I had to read that a few times in your book to really grasp it. But it is a beautiful image. But just that idea that. You know, I think Christ is saying that no to come to the Father but through me. Like if you're if you're walking the way of love, like if you're walking the way of grace, if you're, you know, aiming for peace in the world and you're you're doing these things, like you're walking my way, and you're gonna end up at the feet of of the divine. Like I think it's it's not so much an exclusionary statement as it is an inclusionary statement. Like I think of my friends at Apple who many of them are Muslim, many of them are atheists Um, many of them think you know fundamentally differently than i do about a lot of different things but they're the most loving people that i think i've ever met i mean some of them are so much they're they're more like church people than the church people that i grew up (laughs) with you know and it's like like you like they're walking the way of christ and they're walking in the way of the divine and i think it's just such a beautiful thing that we can all just kind of go forward arm in arm even if we don't see eye to eye on every little detail
1: yeah, well, what if we look at that as, uh, as if Jesus is stating a fact
2: mm.
1: rather than a prescription? Hmm. What if he's stating a fact instead of saying, you know, nobody comes through to the Father except through me? You know, it's kind of like a warning, like, you know, you have to, you know, come through this particular door.
2: Mm.
1: What if he's just stating a fact
2: hmm.
1: that, you know, and if I and the Father, if you and I are one as the Father and I are one, and and the Father is the Father of all things, and all things are God-breathed. Let's say that the God the Father is covering the whole earth. And what, what Jesus could have been saying is a fact that mm. the way we are connecting with the divine is through love and sacrifice and mm. forgiveness and reconciliation and, and all these kinds of things. So that when somebody said, well, what about, what about that? Yeah, that's me. What about hmm. that? Christ could say, yeah, that's me too. Or hmm. what about that? Yeah, that's me too. You know what I'm saying? So yeah. it's it's like rather than being prescriptive, it's it's kind of descriptive. Hmm. You know, I think it's, there's a big difference.
0: Yeah, it's descriptive of reality, not right prescriptive. Yeah, that's really good. Uh before I let you go, talk to me real sure. quick about resources. Um mm-hmm. obviously a lot of our listeners are uh in this this deconstruction mode that we've been talking about. What resources have you found helpful in your journey. You mentioned one already, uh, ethics for Christians by, I think you said William Stringfellow. Is that the name? Right. Right. Yep. So what other like authors, what other books, uh, do you think that people need to have their heads in as they move forward?
1: Hmm. That's a tough one. Like there, there's people, it depends where you are. So there's, yep. there's some people who are still in the church and, and want to read more progressively. So you might get into like Rob Bell, yep. uh, Brian McLaren, Mm-hmm. Uh, and then you might step a bit further into Richard Rohr mm-hmm. and kind of a mystical theology. Mm-hmm. And you might want to, you know, go a little bit further and start reading maybe some, um, atheist books mm-hmm. and just to get a different perspective. Yeah. And you might want to read something like Krishnamurti, the urgency of change. That's one mm-hmm. of my top 10 books as well. Um, uh, you might want to read, um, some, uh, people of color, uh, Mm. theologians, you might want to, you know, start, you know, just reading outside of your comfort zone. Mm. Uh, that's what I always recommend to people like read over your head Mm. and, and, uh, read things that you don't think you are going to agree with. Yeah. Read philosophy. Mm. Um, uh, a living philosopher right now that is, I find very, very interesting. Uh, Slavoj Zizek, um, from Estonia or Slavonia. Uh, anyway, uh, he's just a fascinating philosopher. And even though he says he's a, a materialist and an atheist, I find his reading very, very spiritual, actually, mm-hmm. and theological. Uh, another one is Carlo uh, uh, Ravelli, uh, the, the quantum physicist who wrote Seven Brief Lessons in Physics, mm-hmm. uh, that is just profound. You know, it's, it's just profoundly spiritual, I find. So, you know, that's, that's what I'm saying. Just read outside of your comfort zone, throw yourself in the deep end, uh, read over your head. um, And just like, there's no, here's the thing. Like when we, you and I, we grew up, like you say, evangelical. And and you, you were given a roadmap and Mm. you were told where to stop, where to, you know, take your rest, where to pee, you know, everything. Yeah. Whereas now, you know what? It's your free range, man. Yeah. Free range. Go enjoy yourself. Mm. Like just go read, yeah. go learn shit. Like yeah. seriously, there's just so much interesting stuff out there and everything is food. Mm. And, um, you know, you don't have to eat it all and you can reject some of it. Um, but look, there's just so much good stuff out there. And one of the, like one of the things I do, but like before Lisa and I go on vacation, I'll, I'll Google top 10 nonfiction books for 2019. Hmm. And that's how I find some of the most incredible um, and spiritually profound um, books out there, even though they're not written by Christians, right? Hmm. So that's what I suggest. And, and plus, I have a few books on deconstruction as well. If you're looking I would, for, yes, yeah, if you're looking for stuff specifically to do with deconstruction, hmm. um, I have a few books on Amazon. You can check them out.
0: Yeah. So I was going to ask you is where can people find you and all of your goods online? Yeah. What's the best Make place to
1: go? Yep. Yeah, Google naked pastor, but I recommend uh, one word, not two, because if you Google naked yep. and then pastor, <laughs> you're going to see things you can't unsee.
0: That's right. We don't need so, that.
1: <laughs> yeah. So, uh, but yeah, go there, and uh, all my links to my cartoons and my books and the Lasting Supper and T-shirts, you know, you you name it, everything's on there. So awesome. Yep.
0: Well, thank you, David. This has been super helpful. Thank uh, Thanks for dropping by, and I'll uh, we'll have to get you on here again sometime soon.
1: Yeah, let's do it again. We have a lot to talk about. That's for sure. Have a good one. Absolutely. You too. Bye-bye.